This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. What happens when regular people work together to create massive, meaningful change on a global scale? Welcome to the Carbon Almanac Collective, a podcast where the volunteers who created the Carbon Almanac share the insights and aha moments they had while collaborating on this landmark project to help fight the climate crisis. I'm your host, Jennifer Myers Chua, and it's not too late to join in on the conversation. I'm Jasper Kroom. I'm from Portland, Oregon. I was the charts lead for the Carbon Almanac. Hi all, I'm Barbara Orsi and I'm from Bologna, Italy. I've had a chance to work with the Jasper on uh, charts and data and uh, contribute uh, on, on other projects like Factoid or Inspiring Quotes and also starting the project leading of uh, the Daily Difference. Hey, I'm Steve Wexler. I live in Briarcliff Manor, New York, which is about 45 minutes north of Manhattan. I am a professional chart looker adder and was working with Jasper and the team on developing charts for the Carbon Almanac. So Steve, let's start with you. Why did you join the Carbon Almanac? The All Points Bulletin went out. I guess we, I don't know how each of you found out about it. It was an email from Seth and just felt, well, I think I may be able to contribute in some, some way. How can I say no to this? So looked at what was involved, the amount of work of which many people did so much more, and was really glad to be part of this thing, both what we're trying to create, but also just watching how somebody marshals the resources of literally hundreds of people. And, and I wanted to figure out how do you do that? And I was kind of on the periphery and I still couldn't tell you how this was done. I'm still dazzled by it. This many people volunteering, giving their time, and, and some people doing just absolutely extraordinary work. So I feel privileged to have been part of this thing, to be a very small part of it. And Barbara, what led you to the project? I hadn't uh, a clear idea of what uh, it would have been, actually. But I was so you know impressed about the fact that uh, everybody could be, you know, a contributor and uh, make a difference. And I wanted to do something to have a positive impact because I am a mom of seven years old daughter and uh, I wish, of course, for a bright future. And I think that we all have the duty to, we need to live this world a little better than we found it. So we have to do something for, for the future generation. So this is the reason why I'm working also on the kids project, actually. <laughs> Jasper? So I get Seth's blog every day, like a lot of the people who will be listening to this podcast. And on, I think it was October 9th of last year, and he sent out a post saying like, hey, I'm working on this thing. It's the Carbon Almanac. If you're interested, fill out this Google form. Um, I, I read his blog first thing in the morning. It's one of the first things I do. I just kind of clear my head, get the right mindset. And 
So I fill, fill it out, hit submit, and then went on with my day and went on with my life for 13 unsuspecting days. I was just kind of living life. And then on October 22nd, I remembered that date very clearly. I got an email from Seth saying, I'd like to have you join us. And of course, not knowing the scope of this, I assumed it was Seth saying, hey, Jasper, you, I need your help. I told my wife, I ran a couple laps around the house. I was like a puppy, right? So excited. Um, then I joined in and then I saw all the things that were already happening, all the work that the design team was doing, these like deep, deep conversations that were already happening around the, the charts. I, was, I saw Steve in there and also Corey and all these deep conversations people were having. So I just sort of meekly raised my hand and said like, hey, I can help with, with data viz. Like I know D3. Uh, and, <laughs> and then I think that was the pattern that really you see over and over with the people who stepped in to help is they stepped in and they raised their hands. Like all four of us did that in different ways. So like, Hey, I want to help. This is what I know how to do. This is what I don't know how to do, but how can I help? What can I do? Uh, and it was that, it was that stepping forward and raising your hand. That's what really kind of like kicked things off for my uh, contribution. And I think one of the interesting parts about this particular project is that people were jumping in to do work that they had never done before. So I know that a lot of people join charts without any experience in D3 or design or coding or anything like that. And Barbara, I'd like to hear your experiences. Did you have any chart experience before you came into this group? I'm passionate about figure charts and data because uh, I have a statistical background and I was fresh of uh, data science masters. So <laughs> I was one of the lucky ones that actually I was a little bit pedantic and I think that I challenged a little bit also Jasper on some charts because I was not so well convinced on, but it was all fun because I really love working on data. So I really enjoyed it. And Jasper was so, so, so amazing leading and giving feedback and uh, making the chart better. And so it was beautiful working on that. What about this leadership structure, this community that's come together without a really defined hierarchy or anything like that? What were some of the hiccups or obstacles that your group faced? I think Seth described it well as rigor with our rigidity, right? So we all wanted to do things well, but we were all flexible in how we did it. And that's one of the things that helped the charts group shine. Everyone felt comfortable pushing back because I'm just one person and I have like my experience in life of how things, how I, I think things should be done. But everyone else knows other things. Everyone knows more than anyone, right? So like if you bring the collective knowledge of the group together, that's where the real magic came in the group. Some of the charts that Barbara built out were completely different from what I had originally thought, but they worked so much better. And then having Steve come in, he had these like these really like laser focused comments on like, hey, I know you're talking about doing it this way, but we should actually take a hard right turn and let's add a pie chart, right? If someone's going to think, oh my God, this guy is advocating the use of pie charts. Very narrow, particular use of them and a very particular use case for them. They're generally horribly used 17 slice monstrosities. That's not what we're talking about. Sorry, Jasper, someone, you know, the biz police is going to be all over my, I know. my posteriors. I, I, I should point out that Steve has shifted my perspective on pie charts. 
This is probably one of my biggest learnings from the Carbon Almanac. Uh, before TCA, I was of the class that, oh, pie charts are dumb. Like, no one needs pie charts. Uh, but that's just, that's such a reductionist viewpoint on data visualization. So it actually ties it into something that I really wanted to get across to the, the charts team. We're the rhythm section for the Al- Almanac, right? We're the drummers. And... What that means is that we give the readers uh, something that they know and something they're comfortable with and something that gets a point across cleanly. People don't really like drum solos unless if they're drummers as well. We didn't write this book for drummers, right? We wrote this book for people who wanted to learn more. And one of the ways that you can really get across uh, the the parts to whole, if especially if you have like a small group and a large group, is a pie chart. It's something that's in the human lexicon for comparing percentages. So like Steve completely uh, reopened my eyes to pie charts. And again, for anyone listening, think about a circle that has a small sliver. That's the kind of, kind of pie charts that really sang to us. We're not talking about like the 10 slices, the 3D exploding pie charts. Those still don't don't work great, but there, there is a time and a place for, for a pie chart. I think that's the, if there's one important takeaway from this podcast, there's a time and a place for a pie chart. Look, if you're trying to compare how much bigger is this segment than that segment, you want a bar chart. If you want a simple part to the whole, how big is this piece as part of the whole? Yeah, you can see really easily, oh, that's a little less than half. Oh, it's a little more than one quarter. And in those cases, those things work well. I was one of three authors of this dashboard design book that came out five years ago. And people ask, well, how did three people write a book? Didn't you? Oh, thank you. He's holding up a copy of the big book of dashboards. Thank you. Um, the how did three people work on this thing? Didn't you get into fights and disagreements? And I wouldn't call them fights and disagreements. They were debates and discussions. And we all had the same goal, which was clarity. It wasn't like a band that was going to break up because we were having artistic differences. Man, I don't want to play this pop music anymore. I want to play jazz and and stuff like that. So those discussions were great. And and I thought, you know, I'd create something and think, well, isn't this great? And they go, well, maybe this isn't as clear as you think. And the same thing was happening with the Carbon Almanac. You know, there's an, an example. I don't know if it made it into the book or not, but it was... How do you show that of all methane emissions, 44%, almost half, come from agriculture? And within agriculture, almost two-thirds of it come from this wonderful word, enteric fermentation, which it's just a lovely way of saying bovine flatulence, or actually any ruminant flatulence. And how do you show something like that? And, And the original graphic that was sourced someplace, it was pretty bad. And then I thought I came up with a pretty good way to show it. And then Seth and others went, this is not so clear. And I went, you know, you're right, it's not so clear. And it needed a whole bunch of iterations of people going, no, this thing that you understand because you're living with the data, you understand it is, all right, how can we make this thing work? And eventually came up with something way better than what I would have come up on my own. And I think we lather, rinsed, and repeated that a whole bunch of times where someone would come up with something. And I would hate to think that anyone bristled at any of the feedback as, you know, I didn't when people said, hey, you can make this better. I I always thought these were intelligent and very respectful 
discussions amongst us, but it would be, no, I'm not sure if this works, and then here's why. And sometimes, you know, you know whomever was pushing won the argument, but the discussions were great, and I think it led to better than what we started with in, in pretty much every instance. And, and normally you think, oh my gosh, work by committee is going to be disastrous. And that isn't the case when you have people who have the same goal of, is this as clear? And if there's such a word as impactful, impactful as we want it to be. Yeah, those are one of the things that Barbara did so well. Specifically, there were a handful of charts where I would come in and say, hey, we want a stacked bar chart for this. And the first person to respond, just because of the, the timing in the day, would be Barbara and she'd say, I'll do it. And then 15 minutes later, I'd say, hey, are you sure you really want it this way? Like, I'm thinking about this other approach and take it in this different angle. And I think that was one of the things that worked so well about our group is it wasn't just the feedback from the people who weren't doing it towards the contributors saying, hey, I see you're building this. You should try building it differently. There were a handful of folks, and Barbara was definitely the champion of this approach of saying like, hey, I know you're asking for it this way. But as someone who isn't thinking about this as like a chart, I'm thinking about this as the story and how people can consume it better. Here's how I think it should be presented. Like the thing you're asking for, Jasper, it's not what we should do. And the fact that Barbara was comfortable to do that, it was awesome to see. Like all the times that you pushed back, it, they, they were merited. So really, that, that was really cool. The power of the carbon harmonic is the feeling that you can disagree in a polite way and you can see what you think in order to make things better. Well, it was a little bit challenging saying, oh, I, I don't agree on that, but if you want, I can do that. <laughs> but you realize that, you know, everybody has something to say, but the important thing that you say in the proper way, and of course that you have to add the, to the conversation. I still remember, I think the best chart I've ever seen, it was about the wild card, the, the one that uh, Alberto hand up with the, the sort of scatter plot, because we didn't know how to figure out how to represent uh, what it will be in 10 years. So it was very, very difficult. I think that there were a bunch of people working on that, uh, almost four or five people suggesting different kind of graphs. And finally, it was uh, about uh, hotter weather and drier predicting 10 years events. And it was a little bit difficult to find out the best chart to you know, represent this kind because uh, what the points means, uh, is it clear that it's just a part uh, or it was very, very difficult, but we end up with a beautiful, beautiful chart. And it was really, really fulfilling having say what you did because, you know, we, we look at the spreads and we see the chart and say, oh, hi, married. <laughs> and the fact that the book is born on data, on facts, on chart, this is what is fundamental and it, the, that makes different from our book on climate. There are facts. So uh, it's, it's very, very, you know, different and I'm really happy to have uh, the chance to contribute. Now, it sounds like everyone has felt very fulfilled by the work they've done here. I wonder if any of you have the feeling that your work on the Carbon Almanac or even this experience here, has it changed you? Does anyone feel profoundly changed by this experience? 
so many different ways. I think that it's just that I, I always have this kind of uh, end result when I work with other people. And I was so happy to collaborate with different people from all over the world because I think that everybody can contribute and give a worldview. And so I can change and become a better person because of, of the fact that I'm learning from people from all over the world with a different perspective. So this is just one first thing. And then, of course, I've learned a lot about climate change because I haven't realized it was my first chart about greenwashing or recycling. And I haven't realized that recycling plastic was actually just clearing my conscience <laughs> because actually <laughs> it's not useful at all <laughs> for climate change. So I've learned a ton of information related climate change that uh, I was ignoring. And then I've learned to be a better team, uh, working in team. And uh, also I found a way to contribute and say, okay, this is my idea. We can do that or we can do that. And Jasper, how are you changed by this experience? There's really three main ways. The first is just more awareness of the impact we have on climate. When you're not actively engaged in the reading and seeing the different art articles and just all these different numbers, you think like climate change is this big thing, but I as one person can't really do much to change it because it's this giant boulder, right? And I can't, like me pushing this boulder won't change it. But in, in reality, it's a multivariate equation, right? There are all these different things happening, all these different things that are sort of going up into the Right. Uh, but you can take hold of these smaller things and start to steer it in a better direction. So that, that was the first thing, just being aware that there are a lot of problems that and that means that it's not just one big thing, one big insurmountable feat. Right. There's a lot of smaller things that you can actually take hold of on the climate change side, on the uh, just personal work side. This project really changed my brain chemistry. I went from thinking like okay, like I'm doing what I'm doing. It's not really contributing to the world at large, but it's enough to realizing like you can actually step in and make a difference, right? There's opportunities out there in the world for you to, again, you step in and you raise your hand and, and having that, that positive cycle over and over again, over the months of working on the Almanac, that's really helped me like look more, uh, at, what other opportunities there are out there and how you can really contribute with with the skill set you have. And third, and this is pro probably the most uh, <laughs> the most I'm talking to three of my therapists here. I've gotten to where I am in my career a lot through like individual work, right? I was what they call in the tech space an IC, an individual contributor. So doing lots of stuff on my own, trying really hard to do it as well as I can and like letting the results speak for themselves. What happened at the Carbon Almanac is just letting go a bit and trusting the people around you, knowing that you're in a good place. People who are working are also going to do their best, right? So trusting the charts group as a whole to produce the beautiful work that they did meant that I could step back and I actually was able to contribute more by physically doing less, still uh, giving suggestions and giving feedback and helping to shape things through communication, but not creating things directly myself. And I think that was probably the biggest takeaway for me is to increase your impact. Sometimes you have to like actually do less. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Steve, what about you? Well, I've been 
plan to open cricket burger franchises. So uh, <laughs> that's the uh, and sell the world's greatest cricket burger. And that's, I'm looking forward to reading this thing because even just because I know the small part that I contributed to and and maybe ten or twelve facets of this, of which there are probably hundreds, but certain small things, the things that may change my diet and that degree to which uh, the production of meat is harmful to the environment. Soy milk versus regular milk. What is called the wall wart, you know, the, those little plugs that are uh, into your power strips and the amount of stuff that I'm leaving on all the time. And this notion of, oh my gosh, this thing is so massive. What can I do? Well, if enough people stop ordering burgers, the restaurant isn't going to order as much. Your grocery isn't going to uh, stock as much. And, and eventually this is how an individual can contribute to these things and letting other people know about it. There's a bunch of smaller things I've discovered. I'm looking forward to seeing all the other work that's been produced and how it's going to inform and change my individual behavior. I think that's important to note too, because it's a conversation that we've been having a lot across the Almanac communities is, is it enough for an individual to say, that's it, I'm just not drinking milk anymore or something small like that, or should we only rely on systematic change? But I think if maybe enough of us stopped eating steak four times a week, maybe the people who are involved in the production of burgers might decide to follow Steve into a franchise opportunity with the Cricket Burger Company. Oh. Right now, I, uh, Jennifer, Jasper, Barbara, I'm offering you in on the ground floor <laughs> to be part of World's Best Cricket Burgers. I'll be your partner in crime. Our website, I'll have a lot of data. It'll be good. Great charts. Yeah. As long, as long as there's a spicy version, count me in. <laughs> Getting back to your question, Jennifer, I think that, of course, uh, we need systematic change and we can do uh, on our own. But as it happened with the palm oil, because of parabens or trickles, because of public opinion, because of the choice we do every day, things can also change. We have also the power to do something small and have an impact. But I've realized that, of course, it's not enough at the moment. I thought it was enough, but it's not, actually. So I think, as usual, we need the sort of balance. Mm -hmm. yeah. You sound hopeful, Barbara. On a scale of helpless to hopeful, where are you? I, I'm an optimistic, sir. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I have to be optimistic because I have a, a daughter and I have to be. So this is the reason why I'm so optimistic. And the fact that uh, more than 1,000 people join us and work hard, and it's something actually. And we're just 1,000, and maybe we're, of course, just uh, a small representation, but we're doing something. So this is a spark. <laughs> Steve, are you hopeful? I, I tend to be. And, and also, when I think about the state of the world 50 years ago and now, and a uh, big proponent of the writings and philosophy of Hans Rosling, who wrote Factfulness and created Gapminder. And it is very difficult these past two years and now these past two weeks not to be overwhelmed by the scariness of the world. But if you look at the larger perspective, I think th there's hope when people with the social conscious come together and do things. I'm optimistic too. And I think a big thing is like, you can look to 
uh, what has happened so far, and that that's scary, right? And uh, looking at all of the charts, the charts of the bad things were always up and to the right. So everything seemed ho- hockey stick up and to the right. But what we're starting to see is more and more awareness and more and more like sense of individual empowerment around this problem. I think that's one of the things that the Almanac helped to distill down into this smaller group is that people are realizing like I can step forward as one person and make a change. I can make a difference. And as soon as we help people realize that this is a human challenge, meaning this is something that you as one human can help to affect and can help to drive change towards as there's over 6 billion of us, right? If half of us take hold and say like, okay, let's steer this thing back in the right way we can make change. So if you incorporate that in with all of the technological advances that that are coming down the pipeline, this is a slow moving ship. If we all decided to do the right thing tomorrow, things wouldn't change immediately. But if the culture becomes we're working together to save the planet, not just like left versus right or green versus not green, if we make it like we are humans and we're saving this place we live, then good things will happen and bad things will happen less often. I'm like, Barbara, I'm very, very optimistic. I'm naturally an optimist. Everything will be fine every time. Uh, But even like putting on my data hat and really looking at the numbers and looking at kind of the way the systems are unfolding, there seems to be a sea change in process, right? And this book is part of that. So it's been such an honor to be part of this movement that's helping to shift things back in the right direction. I was wondering if we could take an opportunity, if any of you have questions for one another, is there anything that we need to get out into the world that you want to hear from one of your collaborators? I'd love I'd love to hear what Steve's doing next. Doing the stuff that I have been doing. The same, just applying the practice, doing the things. That have you read Seth's book, The Practice? I found it very helpful for, for dealing with was courting professional burnout to some degree, and it helped me kind of embrace a lot of the things that I thought were uh, burning out. I'm continuing to, um, I'm trying to educate the world one chart at a time to appreciate how helpful charts can help people understand the world and understand their businesses and understand their communities. So my interest these days is around a subset of data literacy, which is data visualization literacy. I want everyone to uh, understand this language so that they can better understand their data and make better decisions faster. And this is what drew me to this project, which is, oh, I'm thinking about this all the time. What is the thing that would allow people to see what's going on here? So that is the thing I'm most interested in, is not kind of minutiae, um, or esoterica around charts, but getting people who don't make them to feel comfortable reading and using them. You have a great mission, actually, because, uh, you know, every time I talk about figures and charts and say, I, I see scared face. <laughs> and the thing is, people say, well, just give me a spreadsheet. Just give me the numbers. Yeah, and exactly. It, and it's okay, but it's going to take you five times as long and you're going to make three times as many errors if I just give you a table full of numbers. And I want people to be the, the data non-confident to feel comfortable with this stuff and, and get over that hurdle. 
of, of, gee, I don't understand it. It must be hard because whatever are all the reasons that people got it in their head that they were bad at this stuff, you do not need to have your expertise with statistics, Jasper's expertise with D3, but you can learn to use and appreciate these charts that other people have made to help you understand what's happening around you. And what about you, Jasper? I'm so impressed by the fact that you've started the YouTube channel and trying to teach people about making better charts or learning something they don't know. So I was so fascinated by this. Also, I've been inspired in part by Steve and, and his, his approach to making things more approachable. One, one of the things that I found, again, with the Al Almanac was that uh, people at first were a little scared about making charts. They're like, oh, I don't know how to do this. But it turns out it's actually once you get like the basic thought patterns and design patterns down, you can pretty easily like hit a button in your brain and build things out. So what I realized is that as soon as people can get over that first steep learning curve, there's a lot that you can do out in the world. So I actually started a YouTube channel this year because it was so much fun to help teach people all about building things with D3. So what I've been trying to do is build out these D3 and 10 minute or less videos that make it clear that it's easy to learn. And once you learn the, like these basic parts, these basic sort of modules of D3, these basic parts of it, you can slap things together and build some really cool charts. And it's again, it's, it's making it approachable and making people aware that it is it is doable anyone can learn it you just have to like put in the practice up front that's an important thing because there's a lot of there, there's a lot of wrong data out there right there's a lot of fake data but being able to make the good things easier to consume uh, you you elevate them and that's one thing that the almanac did so well there's all these charts and all of these numbers they could have all been tables right we could have had uh, an almanac full of tables which would have been terrible but the fact that we were able to get such a clean uh, design approach to these charts and get getting that in there means that they're easier to consume so just getting that message teaching people how to do that and making these data points easier to consume that's what i shot off with this almanac yeah Jasper, going along with that is also making sure that people recognize when charts are misleading them. Mm. How to lie with statistics. There's an Another interesting book. history about that book. And and, yeah. and he ended up testifying for the tobacco company. So um, back uh -oh. in the 1950s. Yeah. How Charts Lie by Alberto Cairo. Mm. And, and the simple things people will do with where you'll have a bar chart and this bar looks to be three times as big as the other bar. Well, that's because it's not starting at zero and things like that and also teaching people to recognize when they're being manipulated by these things. And, and I believe we were always, okay, we can't mislead, we can't exaggerate this. The data needs to be very carefully vetted and the representation of the data needs to be accurate, truthful, and transparent. At least everything that I saw fit that for certain. Also, Jasper, I love this idea of, hey, any anyone can do this. The The... Don't take for granted some of you know the, the hard work, the abilities, what you've studied and things like that. I think anyone can learn to read and appreciate charts and dashboards that a little more work to create, you know, to create the right chart at the right time, expressing the right way. I think you take some of your own uh, expertise for granted and your passion for it and how much you've nurtured your talent over the years. Also, some of the stuff that other people are making, some of the infographics, even the simpler ones, 
This is only something that a licensed graphic designer should be uh, handling at this point. About to Boone Lim on that. Yes, line. definitely. Boone was, you know, so incredible. That, that was one of the great things to shine the spotlight on our hostess for a little, a little bit. Uh, being sort of a, a, a sibling team to the infographics team, which was led by Jen Enifer, it was so cool to see the the art that your team brought forth and being a, able to use that as inspiration. How can we make our charts as beautiful as the infographics piece that really, really helped. And I think seeing, especially seeing it in the final layout, seeing how the layout team bounced back and forth between what your team did, Jennifer, and then what our team did, it, it really, it, they really sing together. There, there's a harmony between the two sides. It was really, it's awesome to see how it all came I've together. I've only seen a little bit of it and I can't wait but some of the stuff that's come out, but also the work that Daniela had done with taking mm. some of the sort of simpler things and adding a real designer's eye to these things to really make them sing. So yeah. um, I can't wait to see those facets. What I've learned also from this experience is that we don't have to wait for someone, uh, someone to tell what you have to do. But as I always said, say, okay, you want to do that, do it. And if it works, we can. You will have enough people to to follow you, and you can do whatever you want. And so this is the reason why I would like to keep on going with the. I'm a marketing manager, so of course I'm trying to launch products that are more sustainable. I pressured our to our supplier in order to be more sustainable. I was also considering the fact that I could push my company further because I'm working for a pharmaceutical company and they we haven't at the moment any uh, CSR department. And I was planning to create a sort of doc in order to say, oh, this is all the are that we can improve and we have some benchmark. And I've, I've just seen recently that uh, our competitor is doing, uh, is researching for a sustainability manager in supply chain. So I'm, I'm trying to bring some example in order to push our company further to be more sustainable. So this is what I'm doing and I will, I'm planning to do. Jasper, how about you? How are you using your experience here to help you mobilize and lead climate action? Uh, I, I think it all comes down to energy and resources, right? Like we as humans have a finite amount of energy that we can apply towards the world. Just thinking more about what I'm doing from a day-to-day -day basis and if it's uh, contributing to climate change in the right ways. There's things that will ha happen in the coming months and years that like we can all be part of that where we, we can all sort of help to push the boulder together. So I just... I'm starting to become more cognizant of what direction I'm pushing the boulder. Anytime we get data that we're supposed to visualize, I'm wondering, can we trust this data? Is it reliable? And, and I'm trying to look at lots of different sources on this stuff and to be as informed as possible. So I can't wait to read the Carbon Almanac, but a friend who is somewhat skeptical also recommended this book, Unsettled by uh, Stephen Coonan, what climate science tells us, what it doesn't, and why it matters. I don't think you can possibly be too informed. I'm looking forward to reading this thing, because remember, I've only seen this small facet of it, the parts that I had the privilege of participating with, and learning more, and then figuring out where can I best apply my abilities to help. So does anyone have a really good joke about pie charts? 
Looking at you, Steve. From the TV show How I Met Your Mother, one of the characters really just goes chart crazy, and he has a pie chart showing his favorite bars and a bar chart showing his favorite pies. So um, now I feel um, compelled to come up with some wonderful joke about pie charts. So at our next meeting, Jennifer, I, I hope not to let you down when presented with this incredible opportunity. No worries. I'll drop it in the show notes. You can you can think about that for a bit. Does anyone have any final parting words? It's not too late. And and Jasper, I'm happy to you know hear you're moving beyond being an individual contributor. You were an incredible team leader. So hopefully you will have a team to work with in whatever roles are coming up. Thanks. Yeah, it was a fantastic team to work with. I think we all did amazing things. It was really uh, an honor to be a part of it. You've been listening to the Carbon Almanac Collective. This podcast is part of the Carbon Almanac Podcast Network. For more information, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Subscribe and join us next time to get more insights from regular people mobilizing to help the world fight the climate emergency.